Good morning. It's certainly good to see you this morning. What a great opportunity God has blessed us with to be able to assemble with those of the like precious faith to be able to worship our great God. As most of you know, we have moved into town off of Amy Circle, uh, which is off of Mormon Mill. And we are so thankful to, to be able to find a house. And, and I was thinking about moving this weekend. Uh, I really love this congregation. And I hope you love me because I really don't want to move again. I tell you, it is a lot of work moving. I know everyone in here has gone through that, but certainly want to pray that, that God's will will be done and that God will use us as He sees fit. But it is a, a privilege and an honor to be able to, to work with the brethren uh, here at Lake Country. And, and we pray that we will be able to, to be here for a long time and to really do a great work with this congregation as we grow in our love for one another and as we strive to do our very best to share the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. As I said, it is a privilege to be here, to be able to worship our God. In Psalm 95, verse 6, the psalmist says, O come, let us worship Him. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. This morning as we've gathered together, we have come to worship our God. As we think about the word worship, worship always denotes activity. When we worship God, we, we see that there are several things that are involved. For example, when we worship God, we give, we sacrifice, we offer. We're going to be looking at several verses as a way of introduction to our lesson this morning. And I want you to, to think about those three words and how they relate to worship. Again, giving, sacrificing, offering. Those are the things that are associated with worship even for us today. And so listen for those concepts as we begin our lesson this morning as we talk about the importance of worship and as we specifically look at our giving this morning. But as a way of introduction, when we worship God, we first of all, we offer up ourselves. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 5, was speaking about the brethren at Macedonia. And he was using them as an example of a great group of people who truly gave with all of their hearts. But Paul makes an interesting observation about the brethren at Macedonia that relates to what we're talking about this morning. Paul says they first gave of themselves. That's why they sacrificially gave. That's why they were so sincere as they served the Lord. Because they first gave of themselves. And that's what we're doing this morning when we come together to worship. Worship is a priority. And worship needs to be a priority if we're going to seek the kingdom first, Matthew 6, verse number 33. And so if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth, we see that principle. We must first give of ourselves. Turn over, if you would, to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 29. When we worship, 
we offer God our glory. That's the second point that I want to notice as a way of introduction to our lesson this morning. When we worship God, we first give of ourselves. But when we worship God, we we offer God our glory. Listen to what was said long ago. And we're looking at this verse as a principle in 1 Chronicles 16, verse number 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering, notice that word, and come before Him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Notice that terminology and how that relates to worship. We bring an offering to God. We give God the glory, which simply means we give God praise. We give God the adoration the homage that is due to His name. We give Him the glory, the praise that He deserves when we worship our God in spirit and in truth. If you would, turn over to the book of Hebrews. And and notice a passage from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15, when we worship God, we offer... We offer the fruit of our lips. Notice this verse from Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. You might want to write down Ephesians 5, verse number 19. Another passage that that encourages us to, to offer up our hearts in sincerity when we worship God, when we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Do you realize this morning that all of us are being graded on our singing? All of us are are being graded on our singing. Not on the quality of our voice, but on the sincerity of our hearts. Making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And so when we worship God, we should sing with all of our hearts. We have so much to praise Him for. So many things to be thankful for. We ought to lift up our voices as we see here in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Hopefully you're seeing these different words and how they are used in relation to worship. In 1 Peter 2 verse 5 we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God. And that's how we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Again, when we come and when we worship our God, when we sing these songs of praise, we honor God, we glorify God. We offer God our attention when we worship Him. That is, when we open His Holy Word, He has our attention. I want you to turn back, if you would, to to an Old Testament passage in in, in the book of of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, we we see just a a great passage that that brings so many divine truths. And as you you go back to to the book of Nehemiah, it reminds me of, of Ezra. In Ezra chapter uh, 7 verse 10, Ezra prepared his, his heart to, to hear the law of the Lord and to do it. Ezra was one who was truly devoted in worshiping God. Well, here in Nehemiah chapter 8, 
We see that Nehemiah is going to to teach the people. We see in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're just going to, to highlight a few verses because we see that when the Word of God was opened, the people were attentive to what was being spoken from the Word of God. And we should have that same kind of reverence even today when we worship God, when we turn to His Holy Word. And we see in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 2, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. Here is one of the greatest verses on the age of accountability. Those who can hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate. Listen to this. From the morning unto midday, and before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. In fact, as you continue to read down in verse number 5, when the book of the law was opened up, and when Ezra began to, to read and teach from the Word of God, the people stood up. Again, showing reverence, showing excitement because the Word of God was being read. In fact, if you look at verse number 9, we see that when the Word of God was read and when it was taught, the people wept. Again, showing the sincerity of their heart. Now, I would say this. When we look at what Nehemiah, as we look at what Ezra taught and as we look at Ezra's heart and as we think about the people even during Nehemiah's day, one of the greatest truths that we need to understand about worship is this. Sometimes it can be very difficult to worship God. To really focus our minds on each act of worship. What we are offering up to God. When we sing, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we open God's Word because we are easily distracted. We have to be disciplined. We really have to focus our minds on what is being said. We have to really listen to to God's Word and we have to make that effort. In paying attention, focusing in our minds on each act of worship because it can be a challenge at times. And we're all challenged at times. But remember, Jesus talks about the importance of worshiping God with our minds, with our hearts. And that's what the Father is seeking. John 4, 23 and 24. And so when we come to worship God, God deserves our Attention. He deserves our respect and we want to give Him what He is seeking. But let me make one more point about worship. That is what we offer up to God when we worship because the rest of our lesson is going to be centered on this act of worship. When we worship God, we offer our money to God. We offer our means Some don't believe that that is an act of worship. But you realize when you go and you read the New Testament, and really when you consider the principles of the Old Testament, when we give of our means, it's an offering that we are giving up to God. That denotes worship. 
Remember, worship is defined by activity. Again, it involves giving. It involves sacrificing. It involves offering. And that's what we do when we give of our means. We're giving an offering unto God. And I want to talk about that offering this morning and how it relates to worship and why we should give our very best because again, we want our worship to be acceptable to God. Go back, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. We looked at Hebrews chapter 13, but look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such, there's our word, sacrifices, God is well pleased. You realize that when we put our money in that collection plate, we are making a sacrifice. We are making a spiritual sacrifice. That's how God sees it. Our giving is a part of our worship. In Philippians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the brethren at Philippi. He's talking specifically about the offering they made on his behalf to help him in preaching the gospel. But Paul says that their offering was a sweet savor that went up before God Almighty. A sweet savor. Old Testament terminology that relates to worship. When sacrifices were offered according to to God's will in the right manner, again, it would be a sweet savor that would come up before the nostrils of God. Paul uses that terminology to help them understand that what they were giving to help spread the gospel was a sacrifice. It was worship. It was an offering that came up before Jehovah God and it was a sweet savor unto Him. Well, with the remainder of our time, I want to consider several elements that can help us become a cheerful giver. Remember from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. We want our worship to be pleasing to God. We could also say we want our giving. We want the offering, the sacrifice that that we give to God to be pleasing to God. And so these elements that we're going to consider this morning can help us become cheerful givers. Number one, we need to understand that when it comes to giving, giving is a command. It's not optional, but giving is a command. It's an imperative. When we look at the Greek language, we we look for imperatives because imperatives are a command. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 is an imperative. It's a command. It's something that that God expects His children to do. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come, Uh, when I come. And so from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we see again that, that our giving is something that God commands. And it's something that, that we do upon every first day of the week. Now we realize that our giving 
is not a part of the Lord's Supper. It's a part of our worship. But we see here that we are commanded, like we are commanded every first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper, but to give of our means. God is interested in our money. You can look at Matthew 12, verse 41 through 44, and we read about the widow who gave two mites. Oh, there were others who were giving... There were those, Jesus said, who were rich and they were giving out of an abundance. But then He highlights this widow lady that gave all that she had. When I see those passages, it reminds me that that God is interested in what I offer up to Him. This is something that He commands that we do upon every first day of the week. Giving is a command. Number two, again, principles that can help us become cheerful givers. Giving is really a matter of stewardship. Do you realize that half of the parables that Jesus taught center around stewardship? Jesus wants us to be a good steward. No man could serve two masters For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. As someone said, money makes a poor master, but it makes a great servant. We can do a lot of good with what God has blessed us with. Let me show you a passage in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 that really encourages all of us to give what we can for the cause of Christ. Now you remember the context, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the emphasis. And Paul talks about the love of money in verse 10. It's not money in of itself. Money is not evil. A lot of good can be done with money and sharing the gospel. But it's the wrong attitude toward money. It's this idea of of covetousness. Opposite of being content. The love of money, Paul says, is the root of of all evil. Again, Paul is not saying that riches is is wrong. There were a lot of brethren who who were well off even in the first century and they used their means to glorify God. One individual that comes to mind is Barnabas. Look at Barnabas. Barnabas had land. He sold the land. He did a lot of good with what he brought and laid before the apostles' feet. But look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich, notice, in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. You and I have this responsibility to use what God has given us to His glory for His Good. Again, this all centers around being a good steward. It is required that a man be faithful if he's going to be a good steward, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2. If we're going to be a good steward, we're going to manage what God has given us properly. Whether it's a lot or little, we're going to be a good steward. We're going to manage it and we're going to use it for the glory of God. 
You see, as a good steward, as a faithful steward, we know what it's like to receive. Because we have all received. But a faithful steward knows what it's like to give because they know that it's more blessed to give than to receive, according to Acts chapter 20, verse number 35. I want you to turn over to another passage with me in the book, uh, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, really encourages all of us to be the cheerful giver that God wants us to be. But anytime we, we talk about giving, people naturally want to know, well, well, how much am I to give to the Lord? The Bible has a lot to say about what we are to, to give to Him. You can turn to, to the patriarchal dispensation. You can turn to the Mosaic dispensation. And you know when you turn to the patriarchal dispensation, there are, are several examples where the patriarchs gave 10% of, of what they have. When we turn to the Mosaic dispensation, we see people under the Mosaic dispensation gave 10%, sometimes we, we misunderstand that, they gave 10% of everything that they had. Some have calculated that, that the Jews sometimes gave up to 30% of what they owned in giving to God. But when we look at the New Covenant, we, we don't tithe. Our giving is a free will offering. It's something though that we need to plan it's something that, that we should purpose, and we see this in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse number seven. Every man according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Remember, we are to give as we've been prospered. As we also purpose in our hearts, not what we find left over in our pocketbooks. Oh, there's, there's a huge difference. Again, not what we find left over in our pocketbooks. We should be thinking about our giving. We should be praying about what we're going to give God. Think about this. We must adjust our living to our giving. Sometimes we have that backwards. We adjust our giving to our living. And when we do that, you know what happens? We rob God. Can we rob God? Again, Old Testament principle. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 8. God told His own people, You have robbed me. Do you realize the context had to do with their tithing? With what they were giving to God? And so even today under the new covenant, if we don't think about our giving... If we don't purpose in our hearts to give what we can to the Lord, again, we can find ourselves robbing God and we don't want to rob God. But as we think about our giving, again, it's something that we should think about, pray about. It's something that we should plan. But we must also give according to our ability. Again, these are our principles that, that will help us become that, that, that cheerful giver that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 7. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As you're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give of their means. They had planned a year earlier to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, yet 
They kept procrastinating. They kept putting it off. And so Paul is writing the brethren and he's encouraging the brethren to perform that which they had planned to do. And so he uses the brethren at Macedonia as an example who who gave beyond what, what Paul even expected. But listen to what he says in verse number 12 again down through verse 14 because it's a principle. For if there be first a, a willing mind, it is, accept, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality. That now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want and their abundance also may be a supply for your want. That there may be equality. Now to me, those are some of the fascinating, most fascinating verses in, relative to giving. Again, God expects us to give according to our ability, to what we have. Here, the brethren at Corinth had it. And they were in a position to give. And Paul is encouraging them, give it while you have it because the tables might be turned one of these days. One of these days, you might be in need of monetary help. And so Paul says, while you have it, you give it to help others. And if you're in need, those brethren who have it should help those who are lacking. There's an equality here. But our giving should be according to what we have purposed in our hearts. Our giving should be planned out. It should be according to to what we have. God doesn't expect us to to put ourselves in a difficult position to help others and not be able to provide for our own families. Again, God expects us to provide for our families according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8. He expects us to give of our means to help others according to our Ability. Let me give you another verse that, that really supports that idea in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, you'll notice in Acts chapter 11, you, you see the, the same terminology in Acts chapter 11, verse number 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Again, our giving is voluntarily. It's something that we plan. It's something that that we think about. It's something that that we do according to our ability. Look at one more passage, if you would, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, we read about two individuals. Ananias and Sapphira. You remember they had a a, a piece of land and and they sold it and they brought the money to the apostles and and they lied about it. And that's why, uh, again, the Lord disciplined them. Because they lied about it. But notice this observation in verse number 4 because it really supports what what we're saying about our giving and being a good steward of what God has given us. In verse number 3, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, 
Was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Again, it was theirs to do with what they wanted to use it for. It was their choice to take that money and to use it for the Lord's work or to keep it to do something else. But again, they had that ability. They had that power. Oh, they lied about it. But again, the point that we're making is we think about what we have. Again, we must give according to our ability. We need to plan. We need to pray. We need to think about the Lord's work because we are simply a steward of what God has given us. When you read Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, again, Solomon makes that point. Everything that, that we own, everything that, that we have has been given to us from God. And really what happens is when we give like we should, we put ourselves in that cycle of blessing. Out of giving, God blesses us. And out of blessing, we give to God. And out of our giving, God blesses us again. It's a cycle that you see there in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 24 through 26. But again, when we give of our means, we have to give with the right heart. Notice this next point. Our giving is a reflection of our love. You see, what we give says something about our love to God. You really see this principle with God Himself. For God so loved the world, John 3 verse 16, that He gave us His only begotten Son. God loved us so much that He was willing to give us His Son. He has demonstrated that love according to Romans 5 verse 8 in sending His Son. If you ever question God's love, all you have to do is stop and think about what He gave you and what He gave me. He gave His Son because He loves us. Now when we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see again that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And as we think about our offering, really our offering is a reflection of how much we love God. And it's personal. And it's individual. This is something that that all of us must think about. When we worship God, as I said, we focus our minds, we focus our hearts on our God. When we give, we should focus our minds. We should focus our hearts on God because, as I said, giving is a reflection of our love. In a few minutes, we're going to have this opportunity to give back to the Lord. And as we give of our means, I hope all of us will think about the love that God has for us. And I'm thankful that through this avenue of worship, being able to offer up our means, we can make an offering to God. It gives us an opportunity to show God how much we love Him. Again, this is something that that we don't go around and and, and advertise because our, our giving is personal. Our giving is is individual. It's something that that, that I offer up to God. It's something that, that you offer up to God. But what a great opportunity we have every first day of the week to show God how much we love Him. 
If you want to be a cheerful giver, all you have to do is think about how much God loves you and you're not going to be like Ananias and Sapphira. You're not going to hold back. You're going to give as you have been prospered because you know that God loves a cheerful giver. Let me give you one more point to help you become a cheerful giver. The kind of giver that, that brings glory and honor to God. The kind of that giver that, that God is looking for even this morning. When we give, we support heaven's work. In Proverbs 23, verse 23, Solomon said, Buy the truth and sell it not. You realize if we love the truth, we're going to support the truth financially. Paul has so much to say about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 26. We also see in Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 4, we mentioned Philippians 4, verse 18, but in Philippians 1, 3 through 4, that's how Paul begins that epistle. He is mindful of the sacrifice, the offering, the brethren at Philippi made on his behalf. In fact, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul told the brethren in Corinth that he had robbed other congregations in 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 8, to do them a service. Congregation in Philippi is one of those congregations that was supporting Paul during his missionary journeys. And Paul says we have fellowship in the Gospel. You see, when we support heaven's work, when we support people in Africa or people in New Zealand, when we support people in school, when the congregation supports the preacher here, there's an aspect of, of fellowship that is related to our offering, to our giving back to God. If we truly love the Lord, we're going to support heaven's work by giving of our means. We're going to make sacrifices for the glory of God. If you would, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and then we'll draw our lesson to a close. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the brethren at Corinth needed a lot of instruction. They needed a lot of encouragement on this subject. I believe from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it may be that the brethren at Corinth were challenged in supporting gospel preachers. Remember what I said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse number 8. Paul told the brethren that he had robbed other congregations to do them a service. And Paul was really thinking about maybe he did them a disservice by receiving funds from other congregations to preach the gospel at Corinth. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is encouraging the brethren at Corinth to support gospel preachers. And I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 11. We have sown unto you spiritual things, he says. It is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait on the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. What is Paul encouraging in these verses? He's encouraging Christians to support gospel preachers. And that is something that the congregations need to hear. It's something that the congregations need to understand. 
Because God has always required that. Do you see how Paul points back to the Old Testament? Do you realize that that when God brought His people into the promised land, the land was divided out among the tribes? The Levites didn't receive any portion of the land. The people, the other tribes, were to support the Levites and the Levites were to do the service of God. They were to take care of the worship, if you please. And God expected His people to provide for the Levites. Paul alludes to that. Those principles apply even today. We need to take care of gospel preachers. You know why? Because the laborers are few. There are less and less gospel preachers today. There is a shortage of gospel preachers. And so many will start off preaching. They'll become discouraged because of what I'm talking about because they're barely making it. And I've heard brethren, well, look at the Apostle Paul. He was a tent maker. He provided for himself. He also had the Holy Spirit guiding him. The Apostle Paul didn't have to study day and night and prepare lessons like I would or like Brother Walker or Brother Moore. I mention those two men because they're a lot older than me and I know how much they study. I know how much work goes into that. Some of you have preached before. You know how much work it takes to to present a lesson, to study God's Word. And that is something that God encourages us. I've been preaching for 13 years and I have been well provided for by the brethren. And I am so thankful for that. But I've talked to to older preachers before who had a very hard time being a gospel preacher. I'm saying this because I think the Lord's church has improved in this area. And I want to encourage this congregation, I want to encourage every congregation to think about heaven's work. There are so many good works that are being done in the kingdom of God. And God can use what we give Him for His glory. I hope we understand that our giving is a part of our worship. And when we think about giving, and when we think about the principles, the elements that, that, that we talked about this morning, again, God loves a cheerful giver. This is an opportunity, uh, again, for us to show how much God, how much we love God. It might be that that all we have is is a dollar. That's all right with God. If that's what you have, that's fine with God. As long as we give cheerfully, not grudgingly. As long as, as we give with a sincere heart. That's what God is interested in. But it is our privilege. It is really our privilege to be a part of this beautiful act of worship. To be able to give back of our means. When you look at the brotherhood, when you look at the kingdom work, there are so many works that are going on in our world. Good works. Works that that need to be supported. I hope all of us will dig deep into our pockets. I hope all of us will think about what we have and that we will be willing to make sacrifices to glorify God, to do God's work, to support Heaven's work because that's what we're doing. And listen, when we support Heaven's work, we're making the greatest investment 
that any person can ever make. We're all about making investments. I want to make good investments. But listen, doing the Lord's work, supporting heaven's work, it pays the greatest dividends. You read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. When we give, when we are ready to distribute, Paul says we lay up for ourselves a good foundation to come. I hope this lesson this morning will encourage all of us to be the kind of giver that God wants us to be. What a blessing. What a privilege it is to be able to make an offering up to God. As we said this morning, God made the greatest offering when He sent His Son to die on the cross. Jesus Christ, who was rich, He became poor so that we might be made rich. I tell you, you want a verse that will help you with being that kind of giver that we talked about this morning? Read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 9. And by the way, that is in the context that we just talked about in 2 Corinthians 8 9 and how it relates to giving. And Paul is reminding the brethren there at Corinth, you look at what Jesus gave up. And when I stop and I think about what Jesus gave up, it's mind-boggling. He gave up so much. He put Himself in a position of subjugation. He submitted Himself to the Father. And do you realize that when Jesus gives the kingdom up to the Father, He will still be in that position of submission. And He was willing to give up His equality so that you and I could be made rich, spiritually speaking. If you never obey the Gospel, we want you to know this morning you can become rich You can become rich in salvation. You can become rich by having your sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb, by becoming a child of God, by becoming a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus will deliver to the Father. If you are a child of God, I pray that each one of us will truly think about our devotion to God as we strive to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's serve God sincerely. Let's give God our whole being like the brethren at Macedonia who first gave of themselves. We will never be the kind of giver that God wants us to be if we don't first learn to give of ourselves. The lesson is yours this morning. If you are subject to heaven's invitation, we pray that you will now respond as we stand and as we sing.